but you need to create your own recipe for each event that you're doing. You as a baker of events probably have your own core methodology, but every profile, every avatar that you're trying to serve has a taste profile. You're trying to create an event that's going to serve that person. Here's the clincher, Matt. I'm not that person most often. You're not that person. It's somebody else. And it's really easy to let our personal preferences get in the way. Helping you create loyal customers and loyal employees all through the power of simplicity. This is the Simple Brand Podcast, now heard around the world, including Ismailia, Egypt. I'm your host, Matt Lyles, and this week I'm talking with Phil Mershon. Phil is the Director of Experience for Social Media Examiner, where he's been designing and delivering amazing event experiences like Social Media Marketing World and Social Media Success Summit for over a decade. Drawing from over 25 years in creating customized events, Phil's a master at delivering and teaching others how to deliver memorable moments and transformational experiences. Beyond that, Phil's a pickleball enthusiast and a jazz saxophonist. Spoiler alert, if you stick around to the end of the interview, you may just hear Phil play some improvisational jazz. Phil's compiled all his lessons and guidance on creating amazing and memorable experiences into his book, Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. It just came out this week. Phil and I discuss lessons from Unforgettable, and they're all around creating events that give the most value to attendees. Look, no matter what your role is or where you are in your career, you're likely going to have a point where you need to host, lead, or design an event for somebody. It could be an all-day meeting for your team. It could be a town hall for your organization. It could be a celebration event for your top customers. It could even be a conference in your industry. The last thing you want to do is deliver a forgettable event that leaves attendees feeling bored, uninspired, or even critical of their experience. You don't want people leaving your event feeling like their time was wasted. Phil and I talk about how to ensure you include the right elements in the right way that make the biggest impact. And we also talk about some of those hidden choices that event organizers may take for granted. They're all here to help you create life-changing experiences that leave a lasting impact on your audience, no matter the size of your event. So here it is. Here's my interview with Phil Mershon. Hi, Phil. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm excited that we finally get to connect. Congratulations on Unforgettable. Thank you very much. It's exciting that it's finally out after all this time. Yeah. You've been creating what people call amazing experiences through events for social media marketing world and and other events. So I'm curious, what brought you to write this book and share all your event secrets? When I was in grad school, I trained to be a pastor and I had a couple professors at that point say, Phil, I predict that you're going to write multiple books someday. For the longest time, I thought it was going to be about worship because I was a worship pastor But when the Great Recession led me to have to step out of full-time ministry into other kinds of work, which I stayed in ministry for a while, 
that book lost luster for me. I've written at least 100,000 words on worship that are online today, but that book just doesn't have the compelling nature because I'm not doing that today. But I think that's when I started to focus on events and experiences and what could I write about there. And it was in 2017, I had an experience where I I heard these words while I was at an event, and that was time standing still. I was reading the book of Joshua in the Bible, and if you're familiar with the story where Joshua and the army are fighting five different armies at once, right? So right. he cries out, help, you know, can you give me some help? And God causes the sun to stand still for a full day yes. to defeat them. And I said, you know what? That's exactly what people need to happen when they're at an event. They need this sense that all those threats, all those enemies, all those distractions that prevent you from doing the deep work that you need to do, whatever the conference is about, they need to be silenced so that you can enter in. I said, I want to teach people how to do that. Well, (laughs) I started trying to write that book, Matt, and I realized I don't know how to do that. I I think that may be a God thing because I don't think you can actually predictably (laughs) make that happen for people. In fact, there was an experience that I had. I went to a musical and it happened for me in this musical. And so I went to the director and I said, how did you do that? I want to learn how you did that. Was it something you did at the lights or the music or the acting? How did you do that? And he said, Phil, I didn't. I can't do that. What I do is I tell a really good story. And he said, I bet if you came back and saw that musical again next week, there would be a different moment in the show that would stand out for you. And if you pulled everybody that was at that show, that would not have been their time standing still moment. And some people would have just kind of thought that was silly. So he said, what I do is I tell a great story, the best I know how to do it with all the tools that are available to me. And I let the story connect with the stories of the people that are there. And so that's what led me toward this book, which is how do I teach people to write the recipe for their event where it has the chance to create those transformational moments for people within the context of the event, knowing that we can't force it. There's a a partnership that takes place. You coming to the event have to invest yourself and make yourself available to those moments of serendipity and transformation. I can't force that on you, right? But I can create the conditions where I've silenced as many of those things as I can. And I think we as event organizers can do that. We can try to make you feel safe and we can try to make it easier for you to focus in. But at the end of the day, you still have to do that. And so that's what the book really is trying to do is teach some of the principles that are at play in doing that and helping you to think through what some of those things are, even as I'm still learning. Like this is a journey for me. I, if I could write the book again, there's things that I would add and clarify. And I'm sure in five years, there'll be either another edition of it or a whole new book. <laughs> oh, absolutely. As well, there should be, because one of the things I teach you know, around simplicity you know, is that simple never stops. You should never stop trying to simplify experiences. You should never stop trying to improve experiences because there's always going to be opportunities to improve. At the same time, people's expectations are always rising based on every other experience that they get. If you can just get someone to guide you and remove all those distractions, remove all those things that are hindering you from your goal, then you'll have that experience where maybe you'll be able to collect and get 
all that land later on. Yeah, I think it's setting people up so that they can fight the battles that really matter, right? And so yes. one of the things I did in the book is I took a five, the five threats that I see, and I think there probably are more, but these were convenient because they formed a great word. Right. <laughs> the five threats are comprised in the word dried, D-R-I-E-D. And I said, well, these are the things that I think event organizers have to fight to help people be able to enter into that space where they can have the change and transformation and serendipity they're looking for. So D stands for dull. No yep. one wants to go to a boring event. R stands for resistance. People have experiences. It might be they have an opinion. They've heard about your event. They've heard about events in general. They're reluctant somehow. They've had a bad customer experience prior to getting there. And so there's resistance of, I don't know if I want to enter into this. So you have to overcome that sometimes. Isolation is I, and that's where someone, maybe they're introverted, maybe they're not, but they stick to themselves because they don't know that they belong or they don't know that their people are at this event or they feel like they're either too smart or too dumb. There's something that's making them feel like they don't really belong in this place. So they stay isolated. It could be the junior high wallflower (laughs) or it could be something else. The E stands for exhausted. Sometimes events are running from 6 a.m. until midnight and the pace or the quantity of content or the number of activities is exhausting or it could just be overwhelming. And I remember going to an event where their program was 76 pages long, Matt. Wow. You had to read a magazine to figure out how to navigate this 100,000 person event. And I, I went back to my room and went to sleep after the first couple of hours, because it was that overwhelming. And then the last D is distracted. And I think that in a social media world is one of our biggest enemies is there's constantly things. It could be a text from the office. It could be an email. It could be a social media post. It could be something you've done in the space that is reminding people of something that is somewhere else. And all of a sudden their minds are somewhere else. How many times has a pastor been preaching and he mentions food? At 1145, you've lost the congregation for the last 10 minutes of that service because they're now they're thinking about the potluck or whatever's happening after the service. Like you unintentionally did it to yourself and the events do that all the time. We unintentionally create distractions. And so you've got to fight those things to help people stay engaged, help them to lean in is one of the ways I like to talk about you. You don't want people holding back. You want them leaning in and say, what's next? And continually making that choice. Okay, I'm going to lean in. I want to get on the merry-go-round ride and stay on that ride because I know there's more here for me. And every chance they have where they might get off, you're giving them an invitation and a reason to stay on. When I look at, especially those last two threats, exhausted, distraction, I think that there's an opportunity for event planners to take that look of, okay, beyond just what's my goal for this event, what are the things that I want to have happen in this event, what's the goal for attendees and how can I help them get the best experience overall? And it doesn't mean throwing a lot of things at them to where they're so exhausted on that final day that they miss out and can't even pay attention to anything on that final day. And it's also recognizing that there's distractions that we might create as as the event planner, as the event manager. There's also knowing, okay, our attendees are going to have 
the possibility of distractions pop up, whether it's stuff at work, emails or fire drills or anything else going on. And so what can we do to help them mitigate those distractions? I think a couple of things. One is communication is critical. I'd still believe over communication is better than under communicating and too many events don't communicate enough in advance to help people right. prepare. But you could dump so much information like that 76 page program guide on someone that that that's not helpful. Like that's actually not enabling me to make decisions. That's just saying here, vomit, here's everything that you need to know. It's like, that's not so good. I think you need to think more like a video game designer where you're leading people down paths where there's two, maybe three options at each juncture where you're going along and you're helping people personalize their decision by, okay, I want door A or door B or door C. And each time they come to a juncture, they are making a decision that's based on their own personal profiles. And to do that, well, you've got to know the audience and the different avatars within your audience so that you understand, hey, door A is actually not going to be appealing to anyone. We need to make an A prime here, something different that's actually more appealing to our audience. So I think that's one part of it is is that customer journey mapping and understanding how are they experiencing the event so that it's not so overwhelming. But I think good communication says you don't say share everything all at once. Instead, you give people just enough at that moment, and then you lead them to the next moment. And you're being very thoughtful about how you're serving up the information that they need. To the point of distraction, one of the things that I love to do, and I, I think great events do it, is there's a couple things. One is upfront acknowledging, hey, there's there are people back home rooting for you right now who've made it possible for you to be here. Why not? Let's take a moment and let's thank yep. them. Send them a text, send them a note, send them a written card, an email, literally do it right now. And in that context, say, thank you for making it possible for me to be here because you've trusted me, because you've believed in me and made it possible for me to be here. I'm going to be all in. I'm here if something happens and you need me, but know that I'm going to be here getting as much out of this experience as I possibly can because you've made it possible. And you're doing a couple of things. One is you're, yeah. you are being grateful, but two, you're making a commitment to yourself and that person that you're going to get everything out of this event that you can. And that's going to minimize your temptation to want to keep checking in with them. Cause now you're saying, I trust you. I know you've got the work. I know you've got the kids. I know you've got whatever it is that might be drawing you back there. So that's one thing that I think you can do with distraction. Another thing you can do, and this depends on your event and how long it is and who your audience is, but you can create space in the agenda and say, you know what? The next hour is totally free. And I know some of you need to get some work done right now. This would be a great time for you to do it. See, I'm cueing Now's you. the time. Yeah. This is a good time, but we hope you'll be back at one o'clock. Well, and that speaks to the fact that you know, a lot of event planners seem to have that tendency to focus on Well, to me, it's kind of a self-centered focus. What do we want to have? What do we want to put in the agenda? And then the agenda is just jam-packed and there's so little margin in the agenda, margin for you to be able to check in, margin for you to be able to check on some important work that may be needed, margin for you to relax for a moment, 
margin for you to actually connect with other people? I think you do have to be intentional about baking that in. Um, we were interviewing someone not that long ago who relegated networking to the nighttime party and it wasn't at all going to be part of the plan during the day. And that wasn't going to work out. And because for us, that's central. My four C's and connections is one of the four C's. And at the conference, we say discovering networking and fun. So it's, it's one of our top three things that we bake everything around. So we have networking breaks happening all through the day that are typically 30 minutes long. And at least one of the days, there's a long lunch break for networking, plus parties at night, plus you can go on networking walks in the morning. And you can kill yourself with our agenda. It's totally possible, but we do create space where you can pause and breathe and check in, check out if you need to go kick your feet up. We give you recording and say, you know what, you may need to miss a session because you want to have a conversation that goes long, or you just need to go for a walk down by the bay because you're in San Diego and you just left Boston or something and you you want to get some sunshine, a little vitamin D while you're here. So we try to make it um, much more possible. And I think being thoughtful about that is really important for all of us event planners who are out there. You talked about baking things into the agenda. In in your book, you actually have the analogy of using baking bread when talking about planning events. So how does the concept of baking bread relate to planning events? For a long time, I've used the analogy of restaurants as a comparison to events because with a restaurant, There's a pretty typical pattern of experience, whether you're in a one-star or a five-star sit-down restaurant. Let's take fast food out of the equation because that's different. But you're going to get greeted at the door. Someone's going to seat you or say seat yourself, but typically there is some kind of host or hostess there. You're going to be brought water. You're going to be brought menus. You're going to place your drink order, your food order. You'll get your food. They'll check in on you. They'll ask you if you want to upsell to your dessert. And then at the end, they'll bring you a check and you leave. And those experiences are are universal. Five-star at the Ritz-Carlton, one-star at the Corner Diner, It's those things all happen, but the difference is in the details of how they're done. The quality of food goes up, but the quality of service and how those things are done is what makes them different. So I was thinking about that. And then I thought about bread in that context and bread's an even simpler example to look at. So if you've got a 12 year old and you give them a recipe for baking bread It only has four main ingredients. Now, there's lots of nuances, but there's four main ingredients. And it's flour, it's the yeast, it's water, and it's salt. And unleavened bread, you take the yeast out. But most of us like leavened bread. So those four things mixed the right way with the right proportions of ingredients, stuck in the right temperature oven for the right length of time, and you've got a loaf of bread. And it will be edible, pretty much guaranteed that it will be edible if all those things happen correctly. Simple. Not great, but edible right? and maybe serviceable to what you need. But if you want an artisanal loaf that you're going to put in that five-star or you're going to have as a centerpiece of a really great dining experience, you need to put your 10,000 hours in. And so that's what made the connection for me. There are lots of people able to put on events that don't need a lot of experience. You could say, I'm going to put an event on and you could do it even if you've never done one before because 
The main ingredients aren't that hard to figure out. Some of them are. Some of them are complex, but it's still, it is figure outable if we can make that a word. But to do it well with excellence, you need those 10,000 hours. And it is, again, the details. It's the details of how you do each one of those, the the decisions that you're making about every one of those. So you called out four C's. There's more than four C's that I talk about in the book, but there are four C's that are really the main ones, which are the content, the connections, the choices, and conversations. Whether you're talking about the content, obviously you want to get that dialed in. And that's what most of us think about when we're putting on educational events, but Do you have the right speakers talking about the right topics? Are they doing it in the right way? Is it the right level for the audience that you have? Are you bringing people in just because they're well-known or are they really going to serve the audience with excellence? Are they using the best methodology? Like digging into each one of those things and asking a thousand questions, but then it's the stitching of all these things together. And so the analogy of baking for me is saying, you know what, you need to create your own recipe for each event that you're doing. You as a baker of events probably have your own core methodology, but every profile, every avatar that you're trying to serve has a taste profile. You're trying to create an event that's going to serve that person. Here's the clincher, Matt. I'm not that person most often. You're not that person. It's somebody else. And it's really easy to let our personal preferences get in the way. I'm creating a loaf of bread that I love. And I think everyone's going to love it. And it turns out not everybody likes, you know, cinnamon and raisins in their bread or not everybody wants a jalapeno in there to make it really weird. Or Uh, olives. they (laughs) Or olives. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be great. I'd love olives and jalapeno in there. Not Uh, for me. (laughs) (laughs) But take out the raisins if you do that. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's where the analogy came from. And we can dig in wherever you want to. Talk to me about looking at it from the aspect of a customer journey and creating those peak moments that help stand out. So there's some that are common, I think, between every event that we all look at. And then there's some that's going to be unique, that will be unique to your event. But understanding where are things that everybody's doing, those are going to be peak moments. So things that involve a majority of the people at your event. So I look at the welcome experience. I look at the departure experience. Then I look at a couple of peak experiences that we all have together, like the opening keynote, your first session, probably one of your networking parties would be one of those. It might be your first meal together. So causing those moments to all stand out in the memory of everyone who's attending and looking at, okay, what are they expecting now? Could I do something unexpected? that will cause this to stand out? Or could I go beyond their expectations? I was talking to someone this week who, when she attended our conference the first time, one of our staff engaged her in conversation and asked her things like, who would you like to meet? What are your goals while you're here? Would it be okay if I introduced you to someone like who you said you wanted to meet? Can I show you where your first session is? So like they went way beyond what this lady was expecting. And so it wasn't necessarily this really unusual thing, but it was beyond expectations. And so the level of service exceeded expectations and that became memorable. And it set a tone 
for this lady so that when other things started to happen like that, they all started to snowball or stack. If we wanted to use James Clear's uh, language, right. we have stacking moments. He has stacking habits. I, I think we create a stacking of positive moments and it creates momentum within the event. And so peak moments are some of those, like everyone's walking into the event at some point to get a badge. So that's a moment we get to create an experience for every person that comes in. But too often it's one of those experiences that's just kind of like, well, let's get them, get them in and get them out because we don't want to have long lines and true long lines can be a bad thing, but what if, you know, we know there's going to be lines, let's make it an experience. There are brands that are known for the fact that they have long lines. Like look at Disney world. If you go to Disney world, you know, you're going to be standing in long lines a lot, but at the same time, they've taken that experience of standing in line and they've turned that into a fun experience. Yeah. And they've done things like the fast pass and they've done other things to try to speed the lines up, but there's, there's only so much throughput into a ride. You know, they can only get you in and out so fast, right? So they know a thousand people can ride this ride every hour or whatever it is. There will be lines, but now they've got signs that tell you, Hey, this line's got a two hour wait. Oh, well, I think I'm going to go do something else because the likelihood is it won't be quite so long later on, or I'm going to use my fast pass now, right? Yeah. So Disney is a great example of this idea of stacking moments because they've looked at what are those experiences that we create that are negative or at least boring that people don't really enjoy. So long lines is one paying a lot of money for your uh, yeah. your food, having to deal with the heat and the humidity. So they create those fans with the moisture. and But then the things that they do to, to get you to forget that is they create such great experiences through the event. The surprise visit from one of the Disney characters because they know it's your birthday and you've got RFID on. And so they know it's Jane's birthday And so they're going to show up with a princess or Goofy or whoever it might be and make Jane's day. And then there's the, your favorite rides and then it's the castle and then it's the fireworks and the parade. They end with that, that huge peak. Almost everyone will say the fireworks show is one of the best they've ever seen. And they spend a lot of money on it and it is one of the best fireworks show on earth. And they do it 365 days a year, unless there's a hurricane. You end your experience on that high. And so when you evaluate your overall experience, those lows don't become so consequential anymore. And I think that's what we're trying to do with events is try to create so many positive peak experiences. And some of them could be very personal, like the lady who yes. you know, had the above and beyond customer service. Or I, I like to quote Andy Stanley, who says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Right. And I think yeah. we find those opportunities. And I challenge our staff. I say, look, if every one of us goes and makes somebody's day every day, if we have 100 people on staff, and we're over a three-day event we will impact 300 people's experience. But the ripple effect of that will be probably everyone will be touched by that because it's going to create such a positive momentum that other people will start doing it too. And you're going to probably do it more than once a day. I'm just challenging you to do it once a day. It becomes fun. So we try to create personalized experience, but then we look at, okay, first experience, last experience, peak experiences. Let's get those as high as we can. Let's do the unexpected. Let's do the unusual. Let's go above and beyond. Let's incorporate the all the senses. 
So I think multi-sensory is a, is a key part of this. Often yes. we revert to audio visual only, and we don't think about the tactile. We don't think about taste. We don't think about smell. Um, right. Smell is the greatest way that we can create a memory connection for people. Music's another one. Music doesn't fit in the senses because it combines several, but music also can create a connection. It can bring back nostalgia and put you in a really positive frame of mind. Unless it's the song that you broke up with your girlfriend with or something like that. And then but that one's kind of a little hard to predict. Well, and, and and when it comes down to it, I love that you talked about playing into all of the senses. That's something that a number of retail brands and hotel brands do is, okay, how can we tap into customers' senses to elevate the overall experience, especially the olfactory sense, that sense of smell? It's looking at it from the mindset of, okay, not what you would like, you event planner and you event team, but what is it going to be like for your customer, what's going to be like for your attendees. So it's not necessarily your favorite music, but what's going to be the right music? What's going to be the right smells? What's going to be the right visual design and even colors that are going to speak directly to your attendees? Yeah, I'll tell you a story about music. So you know that I'm a jazz saxophonist. And so the first right. five or six years of the conference, I got a band together. And so we played jazz as people walked into our opening keynote. And we'd do it, sometimes we do it all four keynotes. Sometimes we just do it in the morning ones, just depending on the schedule of the musicians. And I thought it was great because I wanted music that people weren't necessarily paying attention to and they could talk. Like connections, networking is a high value for us. So I wanted music that set the tone of, hey, this music is here to create a cool ambiance, but we want you talking to each other. Well, over time, the staff started saying, Phil, you know, that music's awesome, but it's a little bit down. It doesn't have the energy. I'm like, well, we don't want high energy at that point in the day. I dismissed it for a couple mm. of years, their feedback. But then I started seeing it show up in the surveys from customers that uh -huh. they said something similar. It's like, Phil, we love you're playing. You're a great musician. You've got great musicians here, but that's not our music. And, you know, it turns out that most people, if they listen to jazz, it's probably on romantic dates. It's yeah. not necessarily the music that reminds them of their happy days when they were in middle school, high school. It's not necessarily the music that makes them want to go change the world. And so I, I looked at the avatar and I realized the avatar is not me. The avatar is a woman in her 30s or 40s. She's from North America. She probably still has kids at home. She's probably not listening to jazz as she's driving the kids. And I said, well, what is she listening to? So I started looking at that list and I said, okay, I need a band that can play those songs. Right. And I started with nostalgia. I said, I want songs that make her feel like we get you. We recreated our playlist totally from the frame of reference of what were those songs that make you feel nostalgic and happy? Or what are those songs that make you want to go change the world? And so our playlist is entirely those. Very few of those songs would be on my personal playlist because we're looking at it from the lens of a 30 or 40 year old woman. What were the songs popular in say the nineties and two thousands um, yeah. when she was at those places in life. And so that was an important lesson for me. It's hard to remove yourself from the equation, especially when you're a musician, but if you're going to serve your audience, you've got to lay aside those preferences and 
figure out the answers to those questions. Absolutely. It's about taking the mindset of empathy for the attendees and putting yourself in their shoes or seeing it from their perspective. At the same time, going back to thinking of it from a customer journey, it's like every single interaction or every single moment throughout this event experience, what is the emotion that you want your attendees to feel in that moment? So sometimes it's happy, sometimes it's nostalgic, sometimes it's inspired or motivated. And then so, okay, so based on that, what kind of experience can we deliver in that moment that will elicit that emotion? And some of it is also, what are they feeling coming into that experience? Right. And how do I move them from, let's say they're feeling reflective. I'm not going to take someone straight from reflective to highly motivated in 15 or 30 seconds, usually, unless your name is Tony Robbins, who can do that kind of thing. But in general, you've got to move people from point A to point B. And so it's, again, anticipating where are they likely? What are they likely feeling? Maybe they're feeling worn out. Maybe they're feeling like there's been so much going on or they're deep in thought about something that they just learned. So to take them from that to getting up and singing happy or dancing in the aisles might not be where they want to be immediately. As a worship pastor, I always watched that. I knew I had to bring people to a place of response and never manipulating, but always trying to anticipate where are they and where would we want them to go? What would be a natural response to this particular moment? And then what's that pathway to get from this moment to to this next moment? I want to make sure that people understand when we talk about peak moments or moments that create an unforgettable experience, sometimes it is stuff that can be really over the top, like really great brand, you know, maybe like fantastic coffee bar or personalized designed cookies or things like that. But I think that it can be mundane things too that we might forget about. There might be mundane moments or mundane products that we can give in experiences that can create an an unforgettable event. Something as mundane as a toothbrush. So talk to me about (laughs) mundane items like a toothbrush and how those can help create an unforgettable experience. It was 2016 and we were moving from a single hotel to being in a convention center with multiple hotels. And so we anticipated, what are some problems? Why would someone leave the convention center to go back to their hotel? We realized there were a couple of reasons. One is they would maybe want to get some work done or they might want to take a rest or they might want to brush their teeth. We figured the first two are easy to solve, create a space that you can work and have Wi-Fi and power. We also created a quiet zone where people could kick their feet up and the lights would be a little bit darker and there would be a no talking rule in that room. But the toothbrush one was a little bit harder for us to wrap our heads around because we said, we're not a hotel. You know, hotels offer those at the front desk. We're not a hotel. We can have mints. But I said, let's go above and beyond what they expect. What would it cost to buy some toothbrushes and toothpaste and mouthwash and stick it in all the bathrooms? We decided to do that and we weren't sure if it was a good idea or not, but we had the budget with our customer service fund. So we we decided to try it. Well, a lady named Malene from Denmark 
on her first morning, within her first hour and a half, said, I forgot to brush my teeth this morning. I had to be networking. Is there a drugstore close by? And one Uh of our staff said, well, you don't need to go to a drugstore. Just follow me to the bathroom. In here, there's a basket full of everything that you could possibly need. And Malene was blown away. She said, man, if they thought about that deal, and by the way, she's the same lady who somebody asked her when she came in, hey, is there anyone that you'd like to meet? So she'd already had that experience. And then she found out about the toothbrush. She was sold. She said, where do I buy next year's ticket? And I literally talked to her recently and she said, I'm bringing a couple of my friends with me to the conference next year. And she's been doing that. So think about this, the ROI of a toothbrush and toothpaste, maybe a 2 or $3 investment on a per person basis. And obviously we right. bought hundreds of them, but not, we didn't buy thousands. We knew we didn't need them for everyone. We've got more than enough to last a couple of years, but it, she's brought us at least five figures of income between herself and the referred business of her deciding to keep coming back. And it's all because those first couple of hours, she had a great experience when she first arrived on multiple fronts. And then we solved that problem for her. So the toothbrush was an emblem for her. They care about me. She thought we'd thought of every detail and I assured her that we hadn't, but we had (laughs) thought of that one because we thought about it in advance. So sometimes your solutions to problems are not necessarily going to be super expensive. In fact, I would venture to say the big production things where we spend tens of thousands of dollars and sometimes hundreds or millions on are not the things that people will remember in a couple of years. It creates a wow moment in the in that experience. But if you don't right. build on it, they're not going to keep talking about it. Malene continues. Like she brought it up when she interviewed me on her podcast, and that's been seven years ago. She still remembers that story. And I do too, because I wrote about it and I couldn't right. forget it. But it doesn't take a lot. It just takes thoughtfulness and anticipation. That's what it is. It's actually taking the time to think about your customer, to to take the time to think about your attendees and then understand, okay, what can we do to serve them? What can we do to remove all the distractions, remove all the hindrances from them getting the most out of this event? Sometimes it's being able to have a toothbrush form. Mints available in the right place. Go to Disney. They've anticipated how far apart you need to have trash cans so that you don't have to go searching for a trash can. It's that mindset of, okay, let's engineer this experience and watch and observe and let's just anticipate and solve the things that frustrate people. And if it's a trash can, if it's a mint, if it's a toothbrush, easily solved. I don't know if it's the same exact distance today, but when Walt Disney created that mindset, it was how long does it take me to walk and eat a hot dog? And by the time I'm finished, I need to throw my napkin or hot dog container away. From talking to Duncan Wardle, it is similar. I think there's the melting ice cream cone too, though. That's Um, it. So you don't want to keep holding on to that. Um, and your hand gets sticky, so you want to be able to throw it away. And yeah, they have it down to a science for sure. Well, always keeping the customer in mind and designing around not what you want, but what the customer wants and what the customer needs. 
Well, Phil, I got one last question for you. And really, this this isn't my time where I ask, if you were to create a five-song playlist around your book, what songs would you pick? But you've already done that. You've already created a playlist for your book, and you shared that with me, and I loved it. But I'm curious, do you have any favorites from that playlist that you'd like to share? Well, there's certainly the song Unforgettable by Nat King Cole. I can't escape that song. As, yeah. as, and as hard as I've tried to find another one that's as good, there, there just isn't. But there are a couple of others that have made the list. So I've had the time of my life. Memory, Barbara Streisand, and clearly Forget-Me-Nots by Patrice Ruchin is kind of a fun one. And then um, I Can't Get You Off My Mind by Lenny Kravitz. Ah. Those would probably be my top five. Well, all those just kind of helps frame it in our minds. Like, this is what you need to think about when you're creating an event. Or really, I mean, honestly, they fit for a customer experience as well. Whether you're putting on an event or whether it's a customer journey for for a transaction or for a customer buying your product. Yeah, absolutely. You're thinking about the emotion you're thinking about what's that person feeling when they're coming into your store what is that experience that they're having when they get in the parking lot they come through the door they're looking to find whatever they want to buy they're finally ready to buy how easy is that for them to buy is it an enjoyable experience or is it a hard experience are the people friendly toward them or are they an annoyance along the way every step of the way is an experience that's either stacking toward positive or stacking toward negative. And the way you make them feel when they left the store, are they glad they were there? Or yeah. it's like, I'm not going back to that place. Or it's just a necessary annoyance. Like grocery stores are a great example. We all have to go to them every week at least once, unless you you know shop in bulk at Costco or something. It's a necessary experience, but some are great experiences and some are just like we endure it. Trader Joe's, in my opinion, is one that really goes out of their way to create a great experience. They train their staff to do that. And it's there's a noticeable difference. The product is roughly the same, maybe a little cheaper in some cases, but the experience is different. And so I look forward to going there more than I do some of the other stores that I go to and I go to a few. I, I always love when I'm at Trader Joe's and, and I can't quite find the exact thing that I'm looking for because I know, oh, I get to ask somebody where it is and they're getting ready to walk me to where it is. I love that part of the experience. Yeah. 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 I've actually got one last request for you. You're a jazz saxophonist. You've got your saxophone right there. And since I've got you and we're recording, I'm curious if you'd be able to play something for us. I would love to. And I would love to actually create an experience with you, Matt, if we can do that. I'd Uh, love that. One of the things that's fun about playing saxophone is I'm trained in jazz. And so you have to be improvisational. You have to learn to listen. You have to learn to respond to the situation that you're in and paying attention to the drums and the bass and the keyboards or guitar, all those different parts. And as parts of teams, that's what we have to do. As parts of events, we're constantly making adjustments. Things don't always go the way that we're expecting them to go. Sometimes you get these opportunities to create the surprise and delight kind of moment. So Matt, we're going to create a surprise and delight moment for you on behalf of your audience so I would love for you to tell me what are three words that stand out as you think about the conversation that we've had for the last 30, 40 minutes? Oh, wow. Okay. Three words. I would say insightful, 
inspiring and well i'm going to say this you know this one is is going to be memorable too insightful inspiring memorable and what do those make you feel what what's the emotion that you would attach to those words i would say um is motivated in emotion i feel motivated right now you feel motivated all right yeah all right and when you feel motivated what do you listen to what would inspire you or what would keep that motivation going it doesn't quite fit jazz, but when I feel motivated, I listen to glam rock or punk, sometimes Southern new wave like REM. So REM, Iggy Pop, Iggy and the Stooges. Iggy and the Stooges actually had saxophone on their Funhouse album. I'm not promising to be in the genre of any of that, but... No, I don't expect it. That <laughs> I can play with, so... Here we go uh, with a little bit of response to something that's inspiring, insightful, memorable, and motivating. awesome yeah um that's gonna be my new go-to motivation song right there (laughs) that tune's gonna be in my head all day now i love it man thank you you. thank you for doing that and oh yeah absolutely one of a kind just for you matt (laughs) thank you i am i'm so grateful for that and i'm so grateful for the lessons that you've shared through your book and through talking today but i'm curious where can people go to learn more Filmershawn.com is the best place to learn about me. If you want to order the book, it's available on any of your favorite online bookstores. Um, If you want to get a signed book, order it from me. It's at Filmershawn.com. Thank you for everything. I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Phil Mershawn. You can learn more from him at Filmershawn.com. And if you want to dive deeper into some of the lessons we discussed today, then go grab your copy of Phil's book, Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. Whatever kind of event you're delivering, Unforgettable will help you ensure that it's a memorable one for all the right reasons. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit the subscribe button because it's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring one of my good friends, Henna Pryor. Henna and I discuss lessons from her book, Good Awkward, how to embrace the embarrassing and celebrate the cringe to become the bravest you. Listen, when it comes to our personal brands, The go-to advice is to focus on your strengths and focus on appearing polished and focus on developing your executive presence. So embracing your awkwardness actually seems counterintuitive. It sounds like embracing a weakness, but it turns out that embracing your awkwardness is actually a strength. It can even be a superpower. 
So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Henna's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Simple.